Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Tutors of Life podcast. This is your host, Sean Tudor. And this is Sam. Today, we're going to chat a little bit about real estate. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the first house we bought, some of the deals we currently are in the process of getting, and then what we're hoping to do in the future. Yeah. So, Sam, tell everyone about our buying process for our first house. Um, well, okay. The, the memory might be a little foggy. It was two years ago. But... Uh, one of Sean's friends is a realtor. Shout out to Dan. And we just started looking at houses of, with him, really. Um, and once we found at least one house that we liked, we started looking at mortgage lenders, which we should have done before we even looked at houses. Yeah, I don't... Did we even get pre-approved before looking for house? No. No, we just kind of started... Yeah, it was pretty stupid. So that's one thing, like, I highly recommend. Get it pre-approved so you know what type of, like, budget you can work in. Mm -hmm. And then also look at multiple lenders yes that i was getting there oh sorry um so we went through a mortgage lending firm specifically something like that yeah um and because sean was in the military they were like oh this is gonna be your best bet and because they were supposedly supposed to pay for our down payment and we were like, this uh, This will be great. So we didn't look anywhere else, didn't ask anyone else. And I regret it because turns out Sean and I made too much money to get our down payment for free. But keep in mind, when we were doing the pre-approval and approval process, we didn't make enough money. And so they were like, oh, we don't know if we're going to be able to approve you, this and that. And then once it came to... The day of closing. Day the, before. The day before closing, they told us, oh, you guys make too much money, or you made too much money, um, which I think that year combined we made like 50000 60000 It was not great. No, it wasn't the greatest. And they're like, oh, you made too much, and you have to pay your down payment, which they were supposed to cover the 3% down payment. And um, that was the WIDA loan. Mm -hmm. So they at least, we didn't have to try and scramble for 3%. They just made it into another loan. Mm -hmm. Um, But still, I mean, we weren't happy. Like that was money we thought we were getting for free. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the whole reason we choose that loan because that loan had a 5% interest rate, which the day before closing, they also told us that it was increased to a 5.5% interest rate instead of a 5% interest rate. Um, so we were really mad because if we would have known that, we had the money for a down payment. So we would have just used a different bank and the other banks were at like a 4.5% interest Not even. Rate. I think some were at like 3 yet. No, they were not. They, the best we found was like a 4.375. How would we know? We didn't look. Well, everyone we knew got it at fucking 4.5 or 4.375 was the best we heard of. I thought Ryan and Eva got something at like 3.5 or something like four months later. I don't think so. Okay, whatever. I swore they were lower than that. Whatever. Told you my memory's a little foggy. But... Yeah, so either way, we would have gone somewhere else if they would have told us all of this up front to us. And we should have just looked anyways. We shouldn't have... It was our first house, so we didn't know what was good, what was bad. Um, So we should have just looked at other places. Yeah, should have looked at other lenders, Mm -hmm. other banks. Yeah, so that was, I mean, the first part about buying a house. Yeah, and we did... um. We looked at a couple ranges in houses, but we decided to get a fixer-upper house. Uh, so we looked at some houses like 
$140,000 up to $200,000. At the time, the $200,000 houses seemed to be good to go, moving ready. 140 range was pretty beat up and needed some good TLC. And then we were looking at a lot of like $170,000 homes, um, but all those needed like fully updates too. So it didn't make any sense to spend 170 when you pretty much had to do the same shit as the $140,000 houses. Mm, it was really weird. Yeah. And it wasn't like location difference either. Like none of these $170,000 houses were in better locations than the one we got. Um, so what are some main things that you like to see in a house? Um, in, in what essence? When we walked through houses, what did we look for? Um, so when we did ours, we just looked for opportunity to open it up. So older houses typically have closed floor plans. So we looked for anywhere that we could take out walls to open up the space. Um, anywhere that we could get anywhere there's extra square foot that we could add another bedroom so if there was like an unfinished basement yeah anything like that yeah i looked for a big garage because who doesn't want a big garage um one tip that someone gave me was to make sure there are plenty of outlets in the kitchen mm -hmm. which our house does thankfully mm-hmm um, but that was something I did look for in some of the older, like the other houses we looked at was if there was enough plugins and some of them did not. And even like actually in any room, I look for how many outlets they have. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty big one. Uh, the outlets. And then I don't know what else were we looking for? How old the roof was oh. laundry rooms. That's something Sean forgets all the time. It's not important. I don't wash my clothes anyways. That's true. You don't. Um, but m make sure there's a space for laundry to go. And it's like a functioning space. Because I think in some of the pictures of houses we were looking at, there was the laundry room was like in the kitchen. I don't want to do my clothes where I eat or cook food. Yeah, it's kind of gross. It's yeah. weird. Um, so, I mean, the house that we have... The laundry was in the basement, and it was, like, a s very new washer-dryer. And I was like, Dan, we need to make sure this is included with the house. Mm -hmm. And they were. I'm so happy they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so laundry, and then we just really looked for any opportunity to remodel, increase the value, mm -hmm. is what we were looking for. And then uh, the reason we chose... This one at the end of the day had a big garage. The siding and roof were done within the last two years. And so that's pretty bigger ticket items that we didn't want to have to spend money on. Um, it had a basement that we could finish to add a bedroom. There was potential to take out two walls, which we ended up doing. Um, remodeled the kitchen remodeled the living room mm -hmm. yeah i mean the because we had to do the inspection report and yep. it came back really good yeah there were some minor things yeah like some gfci outlets and stuff nothing yeah. serious a crack in our chimney that's not used right um one major thing that i didn't realize until we've been looking at rentals lately is um the driveway when we toured this house, there was snow on the driveway. And I think if we would have seen how bad of shape the driveway was, when, like, I'm not saying it was a deal breaker, but it's definitely something we would have considered more because it is in not good shape. Yeah, it's probably got to be like 30 years old. Mm -hmm. It's pretty beat up. So it's something to think of, like, when you're in like us we're in the northern states that has snow for four months out of the year and we we couldn't tell mm -hmm. um and roofs are harder to tell in the winter too 
luckily they had what year it was replaced. So we knew that at least. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. It, it ended up working out all right. I mean, the big learning things was the ceiling height was six foot nine after we finished it. In the basement, in yeah. In the basement. So, I mean, moving forward, I'm not going to entertain a house if the ceiling's not at least seven feet finished, just because it feels claustrophobic with a low ceiling. And then um, the multiple lenders is the big one. Shop around for a good percentage. Um, and if you're a first-time home buyer, take advantage of 3% down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the big one. Stay away from the weed alone. You can't trust them. Yeah, because we had some other friends who also had problems with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they were doing it at the same time we were. Uh, Yeah, like a month or two before us. Yeah, and so we didn't even know that they had... They, they did the weed up. We knew they were doing a loan, mm-hmm. but I don't think we knew which kind it was until we had a shitty experience with them. And they're like, oh, yeah, that was the same company we tried using. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, because they also had a similar situation where uh, beforehand they didn't make enough and then applied for it. And shortly before they were supposed to close, all of a sudden they were like, nope, you make too much money. Mm-hmm ridiculous yeah so that was a that was an interesting one but yeah so as far as like the first buying process we learned some stuff we did some remodeling um and overall it went pretty good we just recently in the past two months i think we uh did a refinance because we didn't want to have a 5.5 percent interest rate anymore uh refinance with a different company in town got a 2.25 percent um, did a 10-year loan just to knock it out quick because uh, it really didn't make or break us. Right, and we we like to think about how much money we're wasting in interest. Yeah, that's one thing that bothered us. So we went from like, it was ridiculous. The 30-year loan with the 5.5, if we paid the minimum, we'd end up spending like $100,000 in interest. Mm-hmm. Um, this 10 year with a 2.25, if we pay the minimum, we'll end up spending 12,000. Yeah, maybe 14,000 in interest. Yeah. It was it was super cheap and it was definitely worth it. Yeah, kind of a no-brainer. I think our mortgage went our mortgage payment went up by $300 a month. So, I mean, not a big deal. We have roommates who cover that easily, so. Mm. Yep. Um, so as far as that was primary um, investment-wise, Ryan and I have a couple group homes that we own and rent to the, to the group homes. Um, him and I just bought a triplex in Bloomer. We found, we just found a good deal on it. Uh, someone posted something on Facebook for a single-family home for cheap in Bloomer. Uh, we messaged them. But it was already sold. They're like, hey, you interested in a triplex or a duplex? We went out, looked at them both. They were asking way too much. We ended up offering, I think, like 60% of what they were asking. And they ended up accepting it. We got inspections. The triplex passed an inspection fine. Um, so we decided we really wanted that one. That was a good one. The duplex had so many things wrong with it. And it wasn't really worth the amount of money we'd have to put into it cash-wise. Um, because we would have to put double the money in fixing it up than we did for like the 20% down for both properties so it wasn't even viable so we scratched the duplex did only a triplex offer got that we closed on that i think a week ago and so two weeks ago now holy shit three weeks ago yeah because it was 
just right before we went to Las Vegas. Yeah, so like three weeks ago we closed on that. And um, that should be a pretty good one. It's right now all the the all the rents are way under value. And so our goal with buying this one is we're just gonna bring the the rents up to market value, nothing extra. We're not going to try and jip anyone out of money or be unfair. We're just gonna bring it up to market value for the condition of the rental. And that will get us cash flowing quite well. Mm-hmm. So that that triplex deal was a, was a really good one. And I hope uh, either him and I or Sam and I um, can find some more of those. Yeah, one major um, point you made in that story was to listen to the people that do the inspection reports because they know what they're talking about. So if they say something needs to be fixed, look into how much it is going to cost and determine if you want to get that fixed or pay for that. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. So inspection, I think is like $375 or something like that for a duplex. Um, it was like four twenty five for the triplex. Pay it because sure you have to pay that three hundred seventy five dollars outright, but it'll tell you if you're going to be in for forty thousand in repairs or if you're going to be in for a thousand dollars in random outlets and dumb shit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we got the inspection report and he recommended getting multiple things quoted out. So we had three companies come in, give us quotes on everything, found out that we were gonna be way over budget and backed out based on the inspection contingency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and always have that included in your uh, when you write an offer. Yeah, unless you're an inspector yourself or you've done this a 100 times and you know, get an inspection contingency because there's there's just a lot of things that like you look past and don't think about um i mean it was as simple as behind the furnace the chimney was degrading i didn't take the wall furnace i didn't take that panel off the wall to look in at the chimney the inspector did the inspector saw that it was degrading in there and so that we can't use the chimney anymore I wouldn't have known that. I wasn't taking the panel off the furnace and looking in the chimney. Um, and so that that there, and then they also know a lot more codes. So they're bringing up the codes with the, um, uh, I think there was a circuit break. So there's a breaker box and there was also a fuse box. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had to all be consolidated to a circuit breaker. but. Um, so things like that, it's just an inspection helps a lot. So get that if you're not an inspector or you're not super familiar with real estate. Mm. And like when you go tour houses, you only really get to look at them for 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we got to look at houses for half an hour, but I mean, you don't get to take the time that you really need to be thorough with looking at a house. Yeah, inspectors usually take, like, just shy of three hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they, like you said, they know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. We kind of do because we've done some house flipping. But, I mean, we we can't take three hours every time we want to go look at a, like, do a house showing mm-hmm. to see if it's worth it or not. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's what we have right now. And then we also have a duplex under contract um, that we should be closing on in the first week of March and we'll be doing um, how did the inspection report look for that one uh, everything we expected so good um, except for he found some knob and tube in the um, attic that needs to be addressed Mm. but so we need to do a full uh, like update for the interior of the duplex. We need to patch some siding and then need to address the knob and tube. That's not bad. No, I felt pretty comfortable with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm really excited for that house. Yeah, about everything he brought up, I had already known about. And I even knew that there would be some knob and tube in there, so I wasn't too concerned about that coming back. Because mm. we, I mean, we live in an area where there is a lot of houses that were built in the 1800s, early 1900s. Um, so a lot of houses around here are lath and plaster, knob and tube. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the other one? Like copper, no, uh, iron pipes? Uh, cast iron pipes? Yeah, yeah. I think that's another one that people have to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the like corrosion and the degrading of them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that in our area, that's something we expect to see. Um, and I mean, we don't want to see it. So some houses we have stayed away if we've seen like lath and plaster. Um, but I mean, do, do your research in your area. Like how new are your houses? How old are your houses? How many of them have been uh, renovated in the past 20, 30 years? Mm-hmm. Definitely do your research too before you, I mean, waste your time on putting an offer on a house. Mm-hmm. But I mean, also here, like a lot of people I mean, it, that place is a rental right now. A lot of the places are rentals, and they have fuse boxes and knob and tubes still. So it's not a deal breaker. It's just another little hoop. Yeah. I guess, I mean, make sure you're willing to update it if you want. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that one should be pretty fun. And mm-hmm. then we looked at a triplex today, so... We'll be negotiating on that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can come to a deal on that. That one's in Eau Claire. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That one was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to, I really enjoy the houses that I can envision doing updates to them to make them look so much better than they are now. And I just, I don't know, want to make people happy with, like, staying in our houses. Mm-hmm. So, the whole reason we're doing real estate, doing rentals, things like that. So, we haven't done any flips yet, but we're in the process. So, we've uh, remodeled our current house we live in um, to where we could flip it if we want. Um, But instead, we just refinanced it to get a HELOC on it um, so that we can utilize that money. What's a HELOC, Sean, for the people that don't know? Uh, Home equity line of credit. Essentially, it's... A super cheap loan to yourself. Second mortgage, as some people call it. Yeah, it's a second mortgage, but it's it's a super cheap loan that you can use at any point in time, and then you just pay it off. So we can either take and continue to utilize that HELOC we got and keep this house as either our primary or as a rental. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kicking on that idea what we're going to do with this and then the other option is we can finalize it and make it a flip Mm -hmm. um and and sell it and at that point it'd it'd be a flip um and then downtown that uh so i guess that duplex we're doing we could fix it up and try to refinance it to get some money out of that deal um we might do that but we're going to talk with the lender to see how viable that option is and then the triplex in Bloomer, Ryan and I had originally talked about getting the rents up, getting it to what the market value should be, then flipping it um, for a profit. But right now, if we get the market value up, it'll be cash flowing quite well that it'll be pretty hard to get rid of just because of the little investment we had to put in on it. Um, and so that's where we're kind of sitting here with these ones is this one, our current house that we can make a flip. We already have money out of the deal on it. So we kind of got some of that back. Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, we had to put 3% down. Now we can access 30% of our equity. Mm -hmm. So it's, a horse apiece, you know, I mean, that in, in two years, we were able to get 27% of equity out of our house from, from doing our remodel portion. So we got what, so we got all of our money out of the deal by far. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that one's that 
What was the original question, Sam? Why we're talking about this? I don't know. Anyway, so real estate, the whole point, we're trying to just get passive income. Right. Yeah. Oh, so what is the downside of flipping a house? So first define it, and then what are the downsides? Um, so, I mean, why... I guess why we're not doing flips at this point yet. First, define a flip. Okay. Uh, flipping a property is essentially you just buy a house or a property, whatever. You buy a property, you fix it up and add value to it, and then you post it as soon as possible back on the MLS to sell it as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. So all you're doing is finding a house that's below value, adding value to it through work, getting tenants' rents up, whatever it is, put it back on the market and sell it. Mm -hmm. So that's a flip. Um, why we haven't done it, Sam makes so much money that it wouldn't we would get taxed at a high tax bracket. So if you do a flip, it's income. So you'll get income tax on doing a flip because the IRS sees it as a job. Mm -hmm. And so we're in a 40% tax bracket, I think. Um, well, at least I am. Um, we will be when we're married, Sam. There you so go. that's what you have to look forward to. Um, so if I did a flip right now, my tax bracket, I pay like 40% on income tax. And so I would pay 40% on a flip. So the whole reason I'm not doing flips, I really wanted to do flips. I've been wanting to do flips for years, um, but the only reason I haven't yet, and I'm pretty ne pretty cautious to, is because I will get 40% of my profit taken from me mm -hmm. from good old uncle Sam. Yep. So that's the, um, that's the downside to flipping can be, that can be the downside to flipping. That is for sure. A downside. Does everyone have that problem? Oh no. Oh, good point. Okay. So, um, people that are less, yeah, people that make less aren't in the same tax bracket, right? So like if you make 50,000 a year, and you've just been saving money and you buy a flip, a flipper, say you do one flip a year or something, you're going to pay very little income tax. So whatever your tax percentage is, that's most likely what you'll pay on your profits only. That doesn't include um, the marketing to sell the deal or to buy the deal, all of the um, money you put into it for contracting, um, materials, anything like that. All that is, you write all that off. I'm talking the pure profit from, after everything's including, like everything's been included, the pure profit. Mm -hmm. So you'll only pay your tax. So if you make 50,000 a year, you'll probably only pay around 20% in taxes. Right. And so that's as good as capital gains, which I, I would like to have a capital gains tax, um, but you can only get that on longer term holds, not on flips. And so if you only make say around 50,000 a year, you're in that lower tax bracket, you could do a flip every year and you're only gonna get taxed at 20% of your profits. Mm -hmm. So for someone that makes less, it's very viable. Somebody who makes more, but does it as a full-time job right then that's also a very viable source of income you mm -hmm. just have to incorporate that in to know that like 40 percent of my profit is tax right but i mean if it if it's your job you're really good at it then, then that's a really good job to have mm -hmm. um but the, it wouldn't be my full-time job and so that's why i'm kind of holding off on it that makes sense mm -hmm. um but yeah i the way we're getting around it is by staying in this house, which is fine. Um, it's not like it's too small or anything's wrong with it. Um, or we're planning on renting it out in the future. Yeah, this specific, since this is, so if it's your primary house and in the last five years of owning it, you've lived there at least two years and it does not have to be two consecutive years. So as long as you've lived in a house you own for two out of the last five years, 
it's considered a primary home mm -hmm. and then you can sell it without any capital gains any income tax anything you get all that money for free as of right now as long as the laws don't Stay change that way yeah so as of right now that's i mean so this house we could do as a flip and that would work actually very well for us but then on the flip side it would be nice to have um a house that could cash flow a little bit but really it would be paid off in 10 years so that so the long-term benefits of keeping this house would be we'd get pretty good rents we'd have a paid off house in 10 year 10 years and um we'd have passive income at that point we can always land contract it too once it's past the 10 year once our mortgage is done like sell it to someone land contract yeah yeah it's an option anyways yeah I'm just throwing out ideas while we're on this podcast. It's fine. Or we could 1031 exchange it. We could? Yeah. Would you like to explain those? Yeah, so 1031 exchange. You can do like a simple explanation if you want. All right. Uh, 1031 exchange is if you're holding property as an investment, as a long-term rental, you and you decide you want to sell that, and you don't want to pay the capital gains tax, then you can sell the property. You have 45 days to tell the IRS from selling that property of 45 days to tell the IRS what other property you're going to buy. And then I think you have 180 days to close on that property. And so you have to have a new property picked out within 45 days of selling your property, you have to make sure that that property is more expensive than the one you just sold. So if you just sold your house at $200,000, you have to get something at least $201,000. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you can't 1031 And then you have to close on that property within 180 days. If that original property you found falls through you get some sort of grace period to come up with another property to still close within the 180 days. Um, so anyways, essentially what it is, 1031 exchange is just a way to postpone paying taxes. So Uncle Sam just goes, hey bud, I'll invest in this next deal with you. When you go to sell that one, I'm either gonna invest in the following deal with you or at that time you got to pay me the taxes for both the properties that sounds like an accountant's worst dreams i'm not sure it could be though i think i remember my mom saying she hated when people did 1031 exchanges like mm -hmm. repeatedly i should try it i'm sure you will yeah um, but 1031 exchanges, just because this crushed my dreams, I'm here to crush everyone else's. If you want to be, if you want to flip or you want to do like, if your purpose of the house is to sell it at some point, like short term, you cannot 1031 exchange it. So if you do any level of flipping, you can't 1031 exchange. That sucks. Yep. Because I was like, oh, well, 1031 exchange will flip into flip into like higher properties. Life will be grand. Nope. No. Damn. Yep. What else you got for us? Um, so I guess basically real estate uh, renting for passive income, um, what you're looking for. So if you're going to look for a property to rent look for the 1% deal. That's the easiest thing to look for. Um, typically the rule goes like this. If you find a property at a 1% deal, I'll explain that in a second, you're most likely gonna cash flow, okay? What a 1% deal is. Say you find a duplex and the duplex is $150,000. You need to receive $1,500 in rent a month, 1%, right? So for every $10,000 in the deal, you need to receive a $100 a month in rent, okay? And you need to also include rehabbing a property if you're gonna do that, 
um, you need to add that money in too, right? So say you bought something at 130,000, but you added $20,000 in repairs, you have to, th then your 1% is based off 150,000, not off 130,000. And that includes like general maintenance and if you have someone managing it for you too, right? Or yeah, no? so how you break it down, right? So the first thing to go off of is the 1% rule. So if you find a house for, say you find a house for 100,000, you know that house can rent for a thousand. Too easy, done deal. Okay, good deal. That's worth pursuing because you're at the one percent. Okay, now you're gonna calculate it out. So you're gonna put twenty percent down into the deal. So you're gonna have an eighty thousand dollar loan. You're going to then have to see with that eighty thousand dollar loan, go into a mortgage calculator, figure out what the um, principal and interest payments gonna be, the property tax and the insurance. So you're gonna get all that, okay? Subtract that from the $1,000 a month you get in income, okay, or in rent. And then you also have to factor in, depending on the distress level of the house, depending on what needs to be updated, maintenance, things like that, um, just a good rule of thumb, but it changes depending on the property, do 5% for maintenance a month, 5% for capital expenditures, so a new roof, siding, furnace, things like that, and then 5% for vacancy. So if your house, if, if a tenant moves out and it takes a month to fill it or whatever. And then lastly, a management fee. Our management, our property management fee is 7%. Um, yours is based upon your like area uh, to be safe maybe shoot for like 10% but always include those things and why I include those things is because shit's gonna go wrong with the property right something's gonna break you're bound if, if you're doing older properties you're likely going to have to do a new roof put a new furnace in something like that and then vacancy, unless things are just phenomenal for you, the rental market's amazing, most likely you're going to miss a little bit of rent. At some point in time, your whatever, a unit is going to be vacant for a month or whatever while you're waiting for someone to get in. And you've been saving 5% every month for this occurrence and so you have it and you can cover that month without having to tap into your own money and then lastly the property management aspect of it that's still a job so if you're going to manage it yourself kudos to you that's awesome but think of your opportunity cost your time okay so you're showing the property you're putting together leases you're taking all their phone calls for maintenance and shit like that that is another part-time job, okay? So is that part-time job equivalent to your opportunity cost, right? So say you're a machinist and you're, you're able to work an extra five hours every week of overtime. Instead of working that five hours a week of overtime, you decide you're going to manage your property, okay? Let's put it this way. Say you make $20 an hour. You make, so you're making $30 an hour for overtime for five hours a week. So boom, you're at $150 a week, okay, that you can make extra. Or you could property manage, all right? You allocate 10% a month. So that's $100 out of your 1,000, okay? So that's $100. So instead of making $150 a week, you're switching it out for $25 a week, right? Opportunity cost, really think about that when you look at property management. That's the way I look at it at least. So I calculate all those things in and then it should tell you if you're going to cash flow or not, how much you're going to cash flow. And then once you see that number, that cash flow number will then tell you what your return on investment will be. So. Your investment of 20000 what that return will look like, what that percent will look like, 
and then your cash on cash um, return. So it just tells you how fast you'll get your cash back out of that deal. From like the cash flow? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one thing that that reminded me of, there we go, words, uh, was to look at those like big ticket things. So, I mean, we've looked at the triplex we looked at today. Uh, the guy replaced the furnaces, except for one, uh, hot water heaters, the electrical boxes, the roof was half done. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't too many big things we would have to worry about in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. But we were looking at a fourplex last week, and mm-hmm. all of the apartments had the original appliances in it from when it was built 23 years ago the original furnaces original hot water heaters original mm. ac units and he mentioned how he like recently had to start or he's been updating the appliances once they break down mm-hmm. so i only paid attention in two or three of the apartments and the one and only one of them had any updated appliances and it wasn't even all of them so that was the thing that Sean and I realized, like, we we're like, we have to bump that percentage up because any of those appliances could go at any time. Yeah, I think we allocated 10% mm-hmm. to that, which brought down the cash flow quite a bit. Oh, yeah, it did. Yeah, because the, our idea, so they, they did have a new roof on that, um, new roof and good vinyl siding. So that was huge perks, huge perks. Mm-hmm. That, big ticket items that we are not going to have to worry about but furnaces typically aren't lasting much longer than 25 years and so those those furnaces are coming up and so why we base 10 percent of that income is because you know if i hire someone to do those furnaces it's going to be four thousand dollars a furnace Mm -hmm. the acs are going to be three thousand dollars an ac I'll do the hot water heaters myself, but that's still going to be 600 bucks, um, a hot water heater. So it, it is a lot of money in just keeping the units going mm-hmm. um, that I really want to make sure that we aren't taking money out of our pocket um, to cover them. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that that money is from that business essentially that unit is paying for its own expenses i'm not paying for it and once you have like you've replaced all of them or a majority of them and you have a good enough saved up to replace the last couple then you can always lower that percentage like that's a percentage you can change whenever Mm -hmm. but absolutely i definitely like to start it off high because it's a new a, a place to you. So you don't know when things are going to just start breaking. Mm-hmm. And so, you definitely, yeah, don't want to take it from your out-of-pocket po- out expenses. Yeah, so one thing, um, the uh, Burr method. And so this is how you can get away from that capital expenditure and a lot of the maintenance cost is by using the Burr method. Essentially what that is, Sorry, I just yawned and then Sean yawned. Essentially what that is, is you're buying a property quite a bit below market value that's in distress. You are fixing that unit up. You're putting a new roof on it. You're putting new siding. You're putting new furnaces, new hot water heaters, the electrical's up to date. You're going through and redoing all the complete remods of the unit, um, new faucets, shit like that, right? new floors, durable floors. Sometimes you put tile in, like the bathroom and stuff, because that should last the whole life of the property. And so you're doing these things um, up front. You're putting a lot of money into it, but then you cash out refinance. So now you have, like, I think you can cash out refinance a single family up to 75% of the value, and then you can cash out refinance up to 70% of a multifamily. So you cash out refinance, get your cash back for the money you put not only down or well, typically you pay for this in cash, but you can do it. Um, Typically you pay for it in cash up front, then you pay for all the materials and then you get then you finance it. Um, So you do all that, you get 
your money back out of the deal, essentially, or the goal is to get as much of your money back out of the deal as possible. But now you have a rental property that you have little to no money into, so your cash on cash return is phenomenal. And everything's up to date. So you don't have to worry about a new furnace for 25 years. You don't have to worry about a roof for 25 years, siding for 25 years. Um, the typical maintenance, shit's most likely not going to break because everything's just been redone. Mm -hmm. and, and so you're looking at all the capital expenditures. Now you don't have to put really any money aside for that. Your maintenance... You could still put 5% aside in case a tenant destroys a, a unit. But other than that, like you're going to have super low maintenance costs. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that since I'm kind of hesitant on doing the flips, I want to see about possibly trying a burr because, um, well, we kind of did that on our, our current house. True, um, but I mean, we used a loan, you know, we had a mortgage and then we got a HELOC, which the HELOC's bigger than all the money we have into the deal. Um, we did have the option to do a cash out refinance and we could have gotten, uh, I think 20% instead of 30%. Um, so we would have gotten, you know, we would have still gotten close to all of our money back out of the deal in cash, but we're fine with using a HELOC because the interest rates are super low. If we max it out, I I think if we max it out, we're paying $100 a month in interest. It doesn't even matter to us. So anyways, the Burr is a good option in the sense that if you can find a deal cheap enough, you can rehab it for a reasonable price and you can then get it refinanced with a uh, with a value of the house, right? It's like 75% of the money you have into it. So then that way you're getting almost all your money or all your money back out of the deal. And then you can roll that into the next deal, but then you have a fully remodeled, updated house. Mm-hmm. So where's a good place to look up a lot of these things that you're talking about today? Because I know you haven't just made this up. You've done a lot no. of research on this for a while now. Anything you want to know about real estate, go to biggerpockets.com. Bigger Pockets, they have the Bigger Pockets uh, real estate podcast that I listen to all the time. They have all sorts of tools and stuff you can use on their website. They're a phenomenal place to learn anything real estate you would possibly want to know. I I research the majority of the stuff I'm talking about I've learned from bigger pockets. Yeah, they they're pretty good experts on that show. Yeah, that's like literally the the show. That's it's the bigger pockets real estate. That's all I talk about. It's phenomenal. Okay, what else do you got for us, Sean? Um <laughs> I guess the last thing we could talk about, right? So the whole point of real estate investing is cash flow and appreciation. So if you're investing in this, you get cash flow and you get appreciation over time in the property, right? Mm -hmm. Long-term wealth. Investing in real estate for passive income is a get-rich-slow scheme. So you just slowly becoming wealthy, building your passive income, building your portfolio with your properties appreciating. In 20 years, 20 to 30 years, when all the properties are paid off, you have appreciation of like 30 to 50%, sometimes more depending on the area of what the original purchase price was. You have all of those properties paid off, so you're, you're getting the whole income is yours now. Mm -hmm. it, you don't have to pay the bank anymore. And so by doing that, it's get rich slow. 20 to 30 years of doing this consistently, you're going to be wealthy. Mm -hmm. um, so with that, right, to start 
A good idea is house hacking. Real quick, house hacking is buying a duplex or a triplex, any multifamily. You live in a unit and then you have tenants live in the other units and the tenants then pay for you to live for free. So say you have a duplex, 150 grand, you rent out a side for 800. Now they're covering the whole mortgage, your principal interest, property taxes, insurance, right? They're covering that all. So boom, that's taken care of. Sure, you're gonna have to set money aside for maintenance, capital expenditures, um, property management, vacancy, sure, set that aside. But remember, you aren't paying anything now. You're not paying to live. So that money you can just save up to invest into more real estate. So say you hop in a triplex or a fourplex, you get it at a good enough deal, you have a potential to live for free, have everything covered, including capital expenditures, maintenance, vacancy, and property management, and you could still cash flow while living for free if you find the right deal. So by house hacking, you're just able to save up so much money faster to put into more real estate deals. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty good thing. It is. Um, that, I mean, I could talk a lot more, but that should probably wrap up, I guess, intro to some of the real estate stuff we've seen. And uh, we'll talk more next time about kind of where we're heading next episode or just another real estate episode another eventually? real estate episode okay we could talk about it next one too whatever whatever we feel like we don't know yeah. yet cool all right well thank you everybody for tuning in i hope you have a wonderful week and um find us on tutorsoflife.com when do we post sean we post our podcasts every monday and then we post our blogs every Thursday. And occasionally Sunday. Yeah. Our Sunday ones are just updating on our 12-week goals. Mm-hmm. And we're getting to the part where they're a little boring, but they should be picking up again soon. Yep. So that's what we got for you. Check out tutorsoflife.com. We also have an Instagram. Uh, check out our Instagram of Tutors of Life. Real hard. Yep. And... Um, We'll catch you later. Thanks, guys.